Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked on Wolves. Today on the show, we are diving headlong into evaluating options the Wolves might have at number 53 in the draft this Thursday night in the second round. Three players I want to profile today that could be options at number 53. It's all coming to the show. Welcome in. You are Locked on Wolves. You are Locked on Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team Every day. Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy draft week. We're just two days away now from this year's NBA draft. We're going to talk all things second round possibilities today on the show First of all, though, a big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen each and every day. Of course, this show is free and available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also watch the show on YouTube. Also, you can watch it on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app, which you can get on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And of course, you can follow the show on Twitter, either at my handle, which is at bbeacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N, or the show, which is at Lockdown T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right. Um... I haven't talked a ton specific NBA draft wise, right? We did a, a show a couple weeks ago on Scoot Henderson. If the Wolves were to trade uh, up into the draft with either, well, likely with Scoot Henderson or probably with with uh, at three with Portland or four to Houston. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Brandon Miller as, a, as an option there. Um, but what I want to do today is focus on the second round. And obviously, there's a ton of, I, I actually, I close the show on Monday. If you missed that, go check it out. But I close the show on Monday by talking generally about second round philosophies in the NBA this year. I'll give you the real quick cliff notes. Basically, I believe in the second round, you're either looking for somebody that has one NBA ready skill right now, like one outstanding skill. Maybe it's rebounding, maybe it's shooting, maybe it's athleticism, whatever it is. It's ready for the NBA now, and you think the rest of their game can be brought close enough to an NBA-ish level that you can justify playing them as a rotation guy, or maybe you know potentially they have the ceiling of a future star. Or you're looking for somebody that's well-rounded and is essentially a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, but they're good enough at everything that you think they could be a plug-and-play rotation guy on some level, right? It's usually one of those two things. Not always, but usually it is. And... The Wolves don't pick until 53. It's not even their pick. It was originally the Knicks pick. So a lot of things could happen, right? Like all the guys I'm talking about, it's possible they're off the board. But today, I want to talk about three guys who, depending on what mock draft you're looking at, they're usually somewhere in the 40s or 50s, right? They're probably not going to be early, early second round picks. They're usually mocked as guys that will be picked and, and not, you know, won't necessarily fall out, but they could, right? Like we see every year, like uh, the one that always sticks in my mind, like Kata Bates Diop, uh, like four years ago or whatever, five years ago, was often mocked to the Wolves in like the 20s of the first round. And he fell all the way to like 48 or whatever. And the Wolves got him, but it was in the second round. And then you have guys that are mocked as early second rounders that fall all the way out. So we don't know what's going to happen, obviously. But the three players I want to talk about today are in most mock drafts that do the second round. You'll see them going in the 40s or 50s. Uh, probably not in the 30s, probably not in the late 50s. It's somewhere in the range where the Wolves will be picking, which again is number 53. So there's three guys I want to cover today. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, well, you're ahead of the game because I have them listed on the side of the screen. So you know who I'm going to talk about today. But let's start by talking about uh, Jalen Clark, who's a UCLA wing. And 
what I'm going to do with each of these guys is talk about what I really like about them, what I like less about them, and, and what I think basically their role could be and why I think they're options for the Wolves, right? I'm not covering every – we're not going to talk about 15 guys in the next two day, three days who like may or may not get – I'm talking about guys that I like as possible Wolves options. And if I'm not talking about a player it over the next few days, it probably means I don't think they're a great fit for Minnesota or I don't like them as a prospect. So I'm going to focus on the guys that I like as fits. One is Jalen Clark. He may be my favorite. Um, if I had to describe him in one sentence to a Timberwolves fan, I would say he's a smaller and much less athletic, but more polished version of Josh Minot, which is a pretty complicated one sentence explanation, right? Okay. So here's what I mean by that. I think what he's best at is his nose for the ball, which in a nutshell, that's what I would say Josh Minot is good at. And it's also what I would say the Wolves lacked a ton of this year. With no Patrick Beverly and no Jared Vanderbilt, the Wolves didn't have any of those like do stuff guys, right? And and of course the Wolves played this helter skelter blitz, high pick and roll, um, high wall pick and roll coverage in the twenty one twenty two season that was very effective. Uh, you know, in, in hiding some of Carlton Towns' deficiencies, hiding some of the size deficiencies the Wolves had, and getting Beverly and Vanderbilt active. They were both, of course, traded in the Rudy Gobert trade. The Wolves drafted Josh Minot and actually, to a lesser extent, Wendell Moore Jr., who I thought both could play that type of defense well. But because the Wolves had Rudy Gobert, they transformed what they did defensively and they played primarily, not exclusively, but primarily drop pick and roll coverage, which requires less of these long, athletic, active defenders. Of course, the Wolves have a couple in Jade McDaniels and Anthony Edwards, but they're often on the ball, point of attack, or they're guarding high usage wings. And the Wolves would switch some stuff and they would play some drop, but they didn't play a lot of high wall because the personnel was very different. But at times, that's where this team would get beat and not solely on defense, right? The Wolves were still barely, but they were still a top 10 defense, right? Rudy Gobert is, I'll continue to call him this until he proves me otherwise, a walking top 10 defense. If Rudy Gobert is on your team, you're probably, a, you are a top 10 defense. I think every year but one in Utah, they were a top 10 defense with Rudy Gobert. The Wolves were by most, metrics between 9 and 11, 9 and 12 this year. I'll call them a top 10 defense with Rudy Gobert in the fold. So it wasn't necessarily the half-court defense, but it was transition defense and it was defensive rebounding where the Wolves really struggled. They've struggled in defensive rebounding basically every year forever, it feels like. Transition defense was miserable this year. Josh Minot, quickly, Josh Minot, I think, and I've talked about this before, I'll probably do a full show on him later this offseason because I, I, I love Josh Minot. I think he is, in part, the antidote to this issue this year for the Wolves. He's got to play. He's got to be have, have a shot at being a, a fringe rotation guy at the very least to inject some life into this defense, and specifically the transition defense and the defensive rebounding, some activity. All that to say, Jalen Clark is a smaller version of that. He's nowhere near the athlete that Josh Minot is. He's a, he's a moderate um, or a, a, a middle-of-the-road type athlete as far as NBA prospects go, and he's not nearly as big. Well, He's big-ish. He's 6'5", six, 6'9", six, wingspan, which is nice, right? What I think he's outstanding as is he's just a, a fantastic, fantastic defender. You could plug and play Jalen Clark right now, and he would be, I think he would look like a good version, like the the maybe not the absolute best, but the the a really good version of Anthony Edwards defensively. And Ant was great when he applied himself this year. The problem was the consistency, right? The technique was sometimes a bit shaky. I would say he's a more technical, certainly less athletic, but a more technical and similarly sized defender is Anthony Edwards. He's not as big as Jade McDaniels. He's not as, um, I would say, fluid even as Jade McDaniels. But the technique is fantastic, guarding point of attack. 
I think he's too small to really play the three at the NBA level, and we'll talk about his actual, like, his his real shortcomings here in a minute. But he's a good size for guarding the point of attack. You can play Jalen Clark at the two, and he's going to lock down opposing ball handlers. I think he can get through screens really, really well, especially off ball. If he's guarding a high-usage wing that you're going to try and run through some screens and get, you know, coming off of a pin down for a catch-and-shoot three, good luck. Jalen Clark's going to catch up. He's going to contest the shot. He's going to make you put the ball on the floor, and then he'll shuffle his feet. He'll stay in front of you. He'll flip his hips. He'll get around, um, you know, a change of direction, whatever it is. Jalen Clark looks 100% natural defensively. He could step in right now and be a top-flight NBA defender at the point of attack. Again, a little small to, to really play the three, certainly too small to play the four at the NBA level. But because of the wingspan and the technique and how hard he plays, which is the number one thing that stood out to me when I was watching back Jalen Clark at UCLA, was how hard he plays 100% of the time. Always like the the back taps he's getting, you know, chasing down ball handlers in uh, in fast break situations. The activity, looking to pick off a pass in the backcourt. It's it's a little bit defensively. The hands are reminiscent of Jordan McLaughlin. Obviously, he's much bigger than Jordan McLaughlin, but how active his hands are in passing lanes, ball handlers, uh, off ball, on ball, getting through screens, navigating traffic. It's all. Elite. I, elite's a really strong word, and I don't want to sound like PJ Fleck, <laughs> the Gophers football coach, but like I really truly believe he's an elite level NBA defender. The problem with Jalen Clark is he's a pretty moderate athlete, and he's a pretty mediocre, actually worse than mediocre offensive player. Um, his jumper is stiff, it's robotic. Um, I don't think there's any question that it's just a little bit. Um, I, I don't know, stiff and robotic is probably the best way to describe it. For his career at UCLA, which is three seasons, and he got rotation minutes all three years, he was 30.2% from three. As a his, his final year, when he started 29 games at UCLA, he shot 32.9%. So he improved every year. He went from 20% to 26% to 33%. That's positive. He also has really good touch around the rim, and he actually has a floater game, which is, it, it, it suggests that he's got touch, right? Uh, it shows he's got touch, but his free throw percentage was only 66% for his career. It was about 70% as a junior, his final year at UCLA. Usually free throw percentage is a pretty good indicator of future success shooting the ball. Like again, he has touch, he has feel, etc. That's not necessarily the case. I worry that his jumper will not be anything better than an upper 20s, like a Josh Kogi 28, 29% jumper, honestly. Uh, but the feel in terms of floaters, et cetera, is more impressive to me. So if I had to boil it down, I would say that, oh, and also I should say offensively, I think he's got more feel now than Josh Kogi. I think he's a good cutter. The reason I bring up a Kogi is because of the um, how good he is defensively and how bad he is offensively. And that's a pretty recent, now Kogi was the 20th overall pick. Kogi was absolutely and still is a, a much better athlete. Um, so I would say overall, Kogi had better upside as an NBA player, but I would say Clark has less offensive upside than Josh Okogie, which sounds really, frankly, gross because Josh Okogie is not a good offensive player still. So I think the upside is actually lower than Okogie. But his feel in the half court as a cutter um, and his floater touch, those are things that Josh Okogie never really had, certainly not at this stage. So I actually think it's a slightly higher floor than Josh Okogie offensively, but a lower ceiling, if that makes sense. Like a Kogi this year was not a clear minus for the Suns, but he was pretty meh offensively, which was a big improvement over really his full career in Minnesota, his full four seasons in Minnesota. So 
I would say Jalen Clark's a less athletic version of some kind of hybrid of Josh Minden and Josh Kogi to use names that Wolves fans are familiar with. But he's got decent size to play the two. He's got decent feel offensively. And I truly believe he's a fantastic defender. And while the overall upside may not be that of either Minden or Kogi because of the athleticism limitations, the floor is higher, I would even argue, than both of those players. Because I think he could step in from day one to be a top flight defender and not kill you offensively just because he understands cutting. He has a little bit of touch. He can, you know, he's big enough to kind of shoot his floater over other twos, probably. Um, you know, you're not going to use him offensively, right? He's your fifth option. But I think the floor is really solid uh, for Jalen Clark. And I like him a lot, um, as evidenced by the last 10 minutes of just me, like, trying to convince, convince myself and the audience, like, the Wolves should take him at 53 if he's on the board. Now, I'm a little, you know, a lot of mocks have him going slightly earlier, um, you know, probably like the late 40s, early 50s. So it's going to be close, but I really like Jalen Clark. Incidentally, he I mentioned he played his junior at UCLA, so he's not yet 22. He's an older junior. Um, but, I, like, again, you're looking for a guy, and I think Jalen Clark has that elite skill that I mentioned earlier. If you are a second rounder, you have that elite skill, or you're well-rounded. He's got the elite skill as a defender, and I think some of the other stuff suggests that he could be passable offensively, and that's why I love Jalen Clark of UCLA at number 53 if he's on the board for the Wolves. All right, I want to get to a Big Ten prospect here next, and then we'll close it out with uh, uh, another, uh, well, We'll close it out with another prospect. we got two more to get to here today. So we're going to do all that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends at BetterHelp. The show is sponsored by our friends at BetterHelp. Uh, mental health is something that's easy to put aside, especially when you're talking about yourself, right? It's very easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you, right? Like if you care about other people, it's hard. It's not hard to neglect yourself. Uh, it's important though, to take at least a moment to think about what you might need from yourself. And honestly, like I know we're a couple years, three years really now removed from the start of the pandemic, but ever since COVID and since 2020, that's been something that's more front of mind for me. Um, you know, taking care of myself, taking care of what I need to slow down, to take a break, et cetera. If you're thinking of starting therapy, if you're thinking about it at all, Consider giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash LockedInNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedInNBA. Lockdown's NBA Mock Draft Special is here, and it is bigger than ever. Follow along the entire first round in a six-episode Ultimate Mock Draft experience only Lockdown can deliver. All episodes are available now on Lockdown NBA Big Board on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's talk uh, about another prospect who I really like for the Wolves at number 53, and that is Penn State's Seth Lundy. Played four years at Penn State, started... Uh, for the majority of the last two and a half years, actually started half the games as a freshman as well. And one of the better shooters in the conference and ultimately as a senior, one of the better shooters in the country. And that's the headline with Seth Lundy. And I, I mentioned earlier, again, it's either you've got that one outstanding skill or you're well-rounded. Seth Lundy has that one outstanding skill and that's catching and shooting. This year, he was 40% from three. In catch and shoot situations, Seth Lundy was a 41.3% catch and shoot player. 
Um, I should also, I guess, set the stage with with his uh, position. I think he's a three that could play a little small ball four, um, six foot six with six with a six ten wingspan. Um, so big wingspan, big bodied six six. Like he's, I think, without shoes, shoes he measured at like six four, but he's listed as six six. So he's probably in the six five, six five and a half range. So he's a little short, but the wingspan of six ten, and again, big bodied. Uh, he was listed at two hundred twenty pounds this year. I think he's got the build, the broad shoulders to kind of stand up in the NBA and and hold his own and and hopefully have some durability as well. Again, played a ton of games at Penn State, 25 or more games every season. Um, so I think he profiles as kind of a big three, a, a wide, big framed three who has a 41% catch and shoot number as a senior, 41.3% catch and shoot. It's really his only true offensive skill, but it's really good. And if you go back and watch his form, what's most impressive to me is his pre-catch prep with catching and shooting. Like all the great shooters do this, uh, except for guys that are just like, you know, this is is just an example of a shooter that like Reggie Miller would get his feet ready, but he could also get his feet ready as fast as he needed to catch the ball and his feet would be like he could shuffle his feet in a position faster than almost anybody. Seth Lundy, I'm not comparing him to Reggie Miller. I'm just giving an example. He does all that footwork pre-catch. Um, and he, you could see him positioning himself to catch the ball and his feet are ready to go. Um, and it's really impressive to me. His release is good and it allows the release to be quicker. Not as much because I, you know, I think it's fairly quick. The actual release, um, you know, the hands getting the ball up and and getting the ball out, but it's the pre-shot work. It's the pre-catch work, getting his feet ready. Um, really impressive coming off of screens. Like he's a catch and shoot guy. He's not going to create his own shot where he got into trouble sometimes at Penn state was trying to do too much off the dribble. And I don't think he did too much of it. Um, but again, he was there forever. He ended up being, uh, his usage rate was actually pretty flat. His, his final three years, his sophomore, junior, senior years. So I don't think he was like trying on a consistent basis to do too much, but in some individual possessions, if you watch back some of their games, he would try and do a little too much and he'd get himself into trouble. And he was a good enough shooter off the dribble that it would work out sometimes. But his skills at catch and shoot guy, he's going to be your fourth, maybe even your fifth option on most offensive possessions in most lineups. Um, And if he can understand his role at the NBA level, I saw so many like, um, Actually, you know what he reminded me a little bit of as a in terms of pre-catch prep with his size and build? A little bit like Steve Novak. Remember Steve Novak? And I don't know that he'll ever be as good of a shooter as Steve Novak. Um, but and, and of course he had a relatively brief NBA career. Um, I'm gonna pull up real quick his uh what that looked like, because I believe his percentage was significantly high. Yeah, he was forty six percent for his career. And I'm talking about a guy in uh Seth Lundy who is 40% and 41% catch and shoot. So I don't know that he'll ever be as good of a shooter, but that skill can develop as well, right? I mean, like, uh, I mean, I don't know, like Steve Steve Novak in college was still 46%, right? So I don't know that the actual skill level is going to be quite to where that was. But Novak had multiple seasons where he was over 40%, again, 43% for his career. And a lot of that was the pre-shot prep. He was a bigger guy. He was a little undersized. To uh, he, uh, Novak was much bigger also. He, But the... The footwork, the having a little bit of that bigger frame, the broader shoulders, that build, catching the ball and getting it ready to shoot quickly is what that reminded me of from from Seth Lundy. I also think Lundy from a like he's not a very good defender. He's passable. I think he he could get in some trouble if he's ever stuck in a switching situation on the perimeter. Like you're not gonna have to hide him defensively. If he's guarding like 
similar players, right? Like guys that are similar size, similar skill level, he'll be fine. I think he's an intelligent player. I also think he's a little bit sneaky athletic on both sides of the ball. Like if you watch back some of what he did at Penn State, he um, was pretty explosive in transition around the rim. Explosive is maybe an aggressive word to use here because he's not super athletic. I think he's sneaky athletic. Like you don't really expect it because he's not super natural with the ball in his hands. He doesn't have a great first step with the ball in his hands. But um, in transition, he had some burst around the rim. And defensively, he had some decent help side blocks. Like he stayed in front of guys for the most part. I just think he could be exposed defensively. So I think he's a solid, not spectacular, not super switchable defender. And again, limited size wise, but the 6'10 wingspan is nice. I think he's a smart player on both sides. Kind of the, the headline for me, the way I would sum it up, is Seth Lundy, by all accounts, was a good leader, a good um, kind of, you know, again, there for four years, so mature. Uh, at Penn State, I think he'll be the type of guy who knows his role and plays it really well. And if that role is catch and shoot guy, solid defender, he could be your ninth guy and you can plug him in and he'll knock down a couple of threes. He'll play good defense. You feel good about that. Um, if he's there, like, I again, I, I would rather have Jalen Clark. I think there's just more there. I think I think the, the defensive skill is more transferable than the 41% catch and shoot, if that makes sense. But similar, right? Seth Lundy, if Clark's off the board, I like Seth Lundy at 53. I think he will be a decent NBA player and has a shot at cracking a rotation fairly quickly because of that catch-and-shoot skill and the maturity. Like, the upside's very limited. But could he be a rotation guy? I think he could be. And, I, I you know, the Wolves need more shooting. They need more size. I should also mention he was a pretty good uh, rebounder for his position in college as well. Like, again, a little undersized, like 6'5", six, 6'5 five, six, five half-ish. But he was a decent rebounder for his position at the three-spot primarily 12%. Well, he played a lot of small ball for at Penn state, but at the NBA, he's going to be a three, a three, mostly a 19% defensive rebound rate as a, as a senior 12% total rebound rate, much better than it was his previous season. So I think he improved that a little bit under began to have kind of a knack for the ball and an understanding of spacing and time and that more positioning and how the ball comes off the rim, et cetera. If that continues to improve at the NBA level, I think he'll be a good rebounder at the small forward spot as well. So I like Seth Lundy, as an option at 53, if if that's what it comes down to for the Wolves. All right, uh, let's close by talking a little bit about Jordan Miller from the University of Miami, a five-year college player. What I like about him, if he's on the board at 53, we'll do that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends at Ibotta. Watching your closet grow after perching all of this spring and summer's latest trends, uh, you're Surely not the only one. How about watching your cash back, your cash grow back with each purchase by using Ibotta? You can earn cash back on every shopping trip. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns 120 bucks a year in real cash back. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Or you could use your cash back to buy that flight that you've been eyeing, the game that you're dying to go to, or the fancy dinner that you've been craving. A typical basket of groceries is over $50 more expensive at the end of 2022 than the beginning of the year due to inflation. You could earn two and a half times that back in cash from Ibotta, or even more depending on how much you use Ibotta. Ibotta gives you real cash back, not points. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much. But with Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta. That includes Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying 
Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED to get that $5. Again, that's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or App Store and use the code LOCKED. All right, let's close the show by talking about Jordan Miller from the University of Miami. If you watched uh, March Madness and, and watched Miami's, I think it was an Elite Eight run, you probably, Jordan Miller likely stuck out to you. Um, so he's not a name that's going to surprise a lot of people if you watched, again, if you watched March Madness. He's a five-year college player, started his career at George Mason, played there for three seasons and then transferred to Miami and was a starter for the majority of those two seasons in Miami. The, the per game averages, like that stuff all looks good too, right? He averaged 15 points per game in two of the last three years. He shot 35% from three this year, which is a tick up from his career average of 33% from deep. Overall from the field, 54.5%. He had a perfect shooting game. I think it was actually the Elite Eight game. He was like, I don't know, seven to seven from the floor, like something crazy from the line as well. Um, so that's kind of the headline is people, I mean, people remember that for March Madness. What I like the most about him is he is well-rounded. What did I say at the end of the show Monday and at the top of the show here today? You're either looking for that one NBA-ready skill that can catch the rest of it up, or it's a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. And I would say that the latter is really a pretty good way of describing Jordan Miller. He's got good size, 6'6", six, six, foot wingspan. He's he's pretty athletic. I would say that's maybe his one skill that's clearly better than average is, is his athleticism, I think, is very good. As a player profile, there's nothing that like really stands out as like, oh, he's going to crush it in this area, right? The first step's good. The feel is good. Um, the, the, like if he gets into the paint, he's got good touch. I think he's got pretty good footwork. There were some examples actually in the, in March Madness of him in the tournament of him, you know, pump faking and stepping through and having good touch and feel on, on where the defenders are. I think he's pretty well-rounded on the offensive side of the ball. The problem is that he was a, a below-average shooter for his entire college career until his last season. He was 33% each of his three years at George Mason, remarkably consistent. 33.3%, 33%, and 33.3%. Dipped to 29% at Miami, but then his fifth year at Miami was up to 35%. So for his career, he was just a shade under 33% from three. That number should really be up higher if he's going to play the three at the NBA level. Um, again, he makes up for it a little because of his athleticism. Um, the other thing is he's already like 23 and a half years old because he's a five-year player and he's a little bit old as well. Like if he'd only played four years, he would still be like 22 and a half, which is an old senior. He's an old fifth-year player. So he's got to be plug and play as an NBA player. And I think he's kind of like a, again, jack of all trades, master of none, above average athlete, below average shooter, I think he's solid defensively. The upside there is pretty significant, though, because he does have that big seven-foot wingspan, and again, he is athletic. So I think the case for Jordan Miller is he's plug-and-play and that he's not going to really hurt you anywhere. I just don't know that he's dynamic enough to really help you significantly anywhere either. I, in fact, he reminds me a little bit of a more athletic, slightly smaller Kata Bates-Diop, at least in terms of that description. Maybe not, like, I, I think he's got a little bit better because of the athleticism, I think he's got more upside and I think he's a better defender and maybe not quite as much feel as Kata Bates the up. But again, it's solid. Um, I think that he's maybe not quite the rebounder Bates the up was, but for a six, six guy with seven foot wingspan and good athleticism, he's a pretty decent rebounder too. So again, I, I would actually probably rank these three guys in the same way I'm doing them on today's show. I would say Clark is by far 
certainly among these three, my favorite at, at pick 53. And then I'd go Lundy because of the catch and shoot ability. And then Jordan Miller, because he's well-rounded and he's athletic and you could have him at the end of your bench. Like the wolves did with Wendell Moore this year. And if you need him to play some rotation minutes in a pinch, I think he could do it and he wouldn't kill you. He's going to be 24. He's mature. He did, had a deep March madness run. He played five years in college wingspan athleticism, good at basically everything. I just don't know what the ceiling is and you don't want to put too many minus shooters on the floor in these, you know, at the, at the three, which is what he's going to play. He's essentially a three at the NBA level, maybe an undersized four if he can hold his own on the glass because the size is good. And again, the athleticism, which I keep coming back to because that's the one NBA skill that's going to kind of get him over the top. I do think he gets picked. Usually guys that do something significant in March Madness find a way to get picked. Um, in fact, I saw a mock draft the other day that had him going to the Wolves at 53. I, I, I think if these other guys are on the on the board at that point, the Wolves probably are going to lean for somebody with that one incredible skill that stands out. And then Jordan Miller is kind of a fallback type plan. He's more of your traditional, um, you know, four or five year guy who had a strong March Madness and or a really good conference year that that teams are like, ah, let's, you know, let's pick him. He, he's he's a name people know. Um, not that that's why the Wolves would, would pick him, but that's part of the reason he's on everybody's radar because of the March Madness performance. Um, so he's an option at 53, and I do like him. I just think if one of these other guys with that with a, a catch-and-shoot ability like a Seth Lundy or a defensive ability like a Jalen Clark, if those guys are there, that's where I'd go, and Jordan Miller would be more of a fallback option for me. Now, I do want to talk about more guys. We'll probably do at least five guys over Wednesday and Thursday's draft, at least certainly four, maybe five guys. Um, over the course of Wednesday and Thursday. And then I'll leave you on Thursday before the draft with my ranking of players I would consider at 53. And like I said, there's always a possibility the Wolves go completely off script to do something, you know, wacky or go uh, European player or trade out or whatever. That's all possible. But I think it's important to be familiar with some of the names that I think could be really good fits at 53 for the Wolves. So that's what we'll do here the rest of this week before the draft on Thursday night. Um, and then, of course, Friday's show, we'll spend the time talking about what the Wolves do during the draft on Thursday. So be sure to stay tuned to all that later this week. Uh, everydayers, we appreciate having you with us every single day. It is, in fact, greatly appreciated. Uh Again, thank you for making us your first listen every day. The show, of course, is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. You can also watch the show on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can follow on Twitter at Lockdown T-Wolves and also at B-Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast. And we'll catch you next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.